You're listening to Take as Directed, a podcast on global health policy and the news, events, issues, and the people it affects. The problem is the world is in a shortage of vaccines. power and strength in women is the role because that maternal child and fear health and nutrition is what drives this disease and, t- and keeps it in the dark. I'm Steve Morrison, director of the Global Health Policy Center at the Center for Strategic and International Studies in Washington, D.C. In this podcast, you'll hear conversations led either by me or by my colleagues, Sarah Allender, Janet Fleischman, and Nellie Bristol, who serve as recurring hosts. We interview leaders fighting against some of the biggest public health challenges of our time. February 6th marks the International Day of Zero Tolerance of Female Genital Mutilation, or FGM. It is a UN-sponsored awareness day to highlight efforts to eradicate FGM. An estimated 200 million women and girls today have undergone some form of female genital mutilation, a practice that can cause irreversible physical and mental health challenges. In this episode of Take as Directed, Global Health Policy Center Senior Associate Janet Fleischman speaks with Dr. Kakenya Ntaya, who is a Kenyan educator, activist, and founder of Kakenya's Dream. It's a leading advocacy organization for girls' education and empowerment in rural communities with a focus on making sure girls live free from female genital mutilation and child marriage. Dr. Ntaya discusses the personal journey that led her to form Kakenya's dream and how her work has helped develop the next generation of women leaders in her community. Kakenya, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Janice, for having me. To begin with, why don't you tell us briefly about your background and what led you to start Kakenya's dream? Uh, I grew up in rural Kenya in a place called Enosain. I was born first of eight children, um, and I grew up um, in my community. Um, we, ha- we are socialized a certain. Boys are socialized to be warriors, and um, girls are socialized to be mothers. I was engaged when I was five years old and was expected to marry as soon as I reached puberty. And being the first one, uh, the first in my family, it, it made me help my mother bring up my siblings, but also help my mother in everything, you know, from washing clothes, uh, cooking, um, going to the river to collect water, to taking care of my siblings. It's just like I was walking. As I, I, I think I was, as soon as I started walking, <laughs> I was walking. Um, but when I went to school, um, I went to school because in Kenya, you know, Kids go to school, um, and what happens when you start in class one, you see that there's so many girls. And then as we go up the ladder, girls get married and drop out. But when I went to school, I really I saw how the female teachers were there, and uh, I really was inspired by them. And I thought that this is what I want to be. I want to go to school to become a teacher. And even though I had uh, a husband waiting for me, that was the picture that kept me going. Um, and later on, I negotiated my way out of uh, getting married by going through female genital cutting, which is a traditional rite of passage to make a girl a woman. Um, and I told my dad that I would go through FGM if he lets me go back to school. Otherwise, I was going to run away. Um, and it was a big thing. Uh, I didn't even think he was going to say yes, but he did. <laughs> and uh 
I found myself um, going to high school. Um, but the, I think what really changed my life completely is when I was in sixth grade, my best friend got married. Uh, and it's like, it's a reality. It's a reality. And uh, she changed. She was no longer a child. She had babies. She was pregnant. She she lived a very difficult life. And and I think that that's kind of what gave me the courage to talk to my dad to say, look, that's not who I want to become. I want to become a teacher. So here we are. I pushed those buttons and uh, finally got a scholarship to come study in the U.S. to college. And my life just set into a very different trajectory. That's what I do now. <laughs> Well, we will get more into some of the work that you're doing on the ground and the kinds of skills and education that you offer these girls. But before we do that, I want to talk for a minute about FGM. On February 6th uh, is the International Day of Zero Tolerance for Female Genital Mutilation. And we know that some 200 million women have undergone FGM, and it's banned in some 30 countries. Can you explain the practice and the prevalence of FGM, particularly in Kenya, and whether the practice has decreased or changed in recent years? So um, female genital cutting or FGM, um, it's, um, it's a practice that uh, no one knows. I mean, we keep figuring out where it came from, but it's been practiced for generations, generations in my community and throughout many communities, not just in Africa, but around the world. Um, it's uh, in Kenya. There's uh, a lot of advocacy. Uh, the government of Kenya has done an amazing job trying to really push to end this practice. So we have very tough laws on uh, those people who practice FGM, but those people also who try to ridicule people who have not gone through FGM. So the law is really strong in Kenya, and uh, the government started um, an anti-FGM board, which really oversees FGM throughout the country. Um, that has really the push. There's a lot of advocacy. And so we've seen a lot of decrease um, in general in the whole country of FGM trends. Uh, sadly, though, uh, in some communities, including my own Maasai, um, the practice is actually on the rise. Um, so uh, I would say about 78% uh, of women in my community have gone through FGM. Um, now, because the practice is underground, people don't, we don't really, when I was growing up, it was used to be celebrated outside. So everybody comes, they celebrate you be transitioning from being a girl to a woman. But because of the law, the FGM is going underground, meaning that they practice at night. Um, they also, um, you know, give painkillers to the girls so that they don't feel the pain. Um, the worst is when they, uh, when a woman is giving bath, if you've not been cut, they will cut you. So it's all put together. Um, and those are really dangerous um, situations because now in Kenya now, if you go to the hospital and they found out that you are sick because you've been cut, you, somebody's going to go to jail. So everything is underground. So we are seeing uh, some girls dying from the practice. Um, and there's a lot of issues that are, around that. And because of that, it is really very important that uh, we educate the community. Um, and sadly, you know, FGM is not just a, a developing country's issue. It's an issue everywhere in Kenya, in Europe, in the U.S., uh, around the globe. Take us for a minute to your school in Kenya. Describe for us the community where you work 
and how your efforts have been received by the community. So for those who don't know Kenya, uh, when you're in Nairobi, it will take you about 250 miles west to get to my village. Uh, it's very rural, um, you know, no running water, uh, electricity, like all the, it's, it's a rural community. Uh, no beef roads and all of that. Um, it's a place where, um, you know, it, the, I feel like, you know, the, sometimes I feel like the government has left out <laughs> people in the rural community, uh, the most marginalized, the most left into poverty, um, and and really cut off from the bigger world. Um, what, uh, you know, for women, it's even harder because we are still, the women are seen as the the caretakers of homes. So they are the ones who will figure out how to find food to feed the children. They are the ones who are constantly taking care of everything. So, And the education of girls is not a priority or women because the goal for a woman is to be a wife and a mother of children. So that's that's the, what the community wants you and they see you as that. Uh, of course, we have the male, uh, the leaders, they're the ones who go to school, they're the future. So we will see that, um, I mean, it's it's what it is. They're, they're the member of parliament, they're the mem- members of county assembly, they're the ones in the banks. So there's this um, way when we grow up from a childhood, your life is already set, you know, for a boy and for a girl. And uh, because of that, uh, you find that schools that we have, you know, government has built so many schools around the the villages and everywhere, but they lack resources. There are no textbooks in the classrooms. There are no teachers. Uh, there are no. They, they, they're just left out. And those who have, uh, there are some places that have schools have not even been built. Kids are learning under a tree. Um, and, and those are the, just the situations that uh when you look at it, it just it leaves a lot of population outside, and you are really left out. And and that's when you see in Kenya there's a, a big divide between those who are uh, the wealthy and those who are very poor. So that's a reality. So take us now to your school. What are the ages? What are the numbers of the girls that are there? What kind of education and skills and environment have you created? Um, I started Kenya Center for Excellence in 2009. Uh, partly because I was tired seeing girls being mutilated, uh, seeing girls getting married, seeing girls' life just being put off and, like, destroyed and completely, you know, your your life is changed when you get married at 13. Um, and I, I started the school because I was actually a student at the University of Pittsburgh, <laughs> and uh, but I thought I would start with 10 girls. <laughs> but... When I went to Kenya to enroll the students, because I have been talking about uh, wanting to help my community for many years, because one of the things I, I realized, I, d- I wanted to make sure that my community was part of supporting me to help my community. So I had lots of meetings with men, women, leaders. I was always talking. I was always in meetings. Uh, but at this one point, I said, I couldn't wait. You know, we have to wait for a perfect time and have the perfect strategy and all of that. But I couldn't wait because, you know, every time I waited, a girl was being cut. A girl was, like, their lives were being shattered. So I started the school, and when I went to enroll the girls, a um, hundred of them came. <laughs> and, you know, at that point, each one of them 
saw a future that was different. Each one of them thought that, you know, they were looking at me as their role model. Each one of them wanted to come to that school. And so my dream of 10 ended up with 30 girls. Um, now at the primary school, since we started to now, our older girls are in university. We've educated about uh, 500 girls. Uh, it's really amazing to see how you, we take a girl in fourth grade. Our approach is not about rescuing. We want to prevent we want to prevent FGM. We want to prevent early marriages. So we take a girl when she is nine years old. And this, that's the key time. The society is starting to see the girl. She's starting to enter into puberty. So they start being socialized. You're no longer a child. You know, you can't just play. Um, and so we will come in and we will take the girl and say, you're a child. You have dreams. Um, you can play this jump rope and this ball and uh, just be, uh, you know, don't have to worry about waking up to sweeping the house and cooking before you go to school. You can come into our school and it's a boarding school. Um, so everybody in the school is very geared into the supporting the girls. So that sets a whole different message. So the girls, they come in and the parents also, because we bring the parents in, we don't just take the girl put them in the boarding school and tell the parents disappear. So the parents are very involved in uh, the education of the girls. So we have parents meetings. And one of the biggest things, like when you want to end FGM, you can't end FGM by taking girls out of their homes. You have to really, truly work with everybody, grandmothers, mothers, fathers, all of them. They have to be part of that education, which we've really been very successful in. So... Uh, the girls study math, English. <laughs> they run, they uh, do sports, and uh, but more of all, it's like we really enhance our curriculum by training on leadership, doing health topics, and now they have become uh, trainers in other schools, and they help us spread the word. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's a place where the girls just come and be. <laughs> so maybe explain one of the girls. Uh, to us. Tell us a little bit about one of the students, where she came from and where she is now and how the exposure to this school and this curriculum has really given her the tools to pursue her own dreams. Um, I can talk about uh, one girl called Miriam. Um, she she actually, for Miriam, she we, we enrolled her in fifth grade as opposed to in first grade, uh, fourth grade. Um, her mother uh, is a single mom, and she has many boys. Uh, she has four boys, and she has three girls. And um, in her, she, she was trying to educate the boys. And at Miriam's, when she was in class five, the, the mother was already thinking about marrying her off. And when they heard about the school, she came to me and said, look, Kenya, my mom is going to give me away. Please help me. Um, we, we, you know, those are the extreme cases for us. So we took in the girl and we put her in our boarding school. Uh, from there, um, of course, we educate the girls about her rights, what FGM is. Uh, you know, as a child, she has a right to school. She has a, a right to health. I mean, it, she's, she needs all that. But what was key is to bring her mother along. Uh, we realized that she would favor the boys because the boys would carry her name, the boys would do more. And the other, if she gave, if she married off Miriam, she was going to get a dowry. And those are like seven cows that she could use to educate her boys. <laughs> so we changed the whole dynamic. Uh, but what has happened now through 
training Miriam and her mom. She, you know, her mom is now very a big advocate for us. Uh, Miriam just finished high school, getting ready to go to college. Um, and it's really, it's even brought in the brothers into the whole picture. They're very supportive of her. You know, when I go and visit, they, they will come to the school. They will try to help her with uh, what she's weekend. It's really about bringing the family together. And that's what I've learned a lot. And that the the mother tells us that, you know, that was the best thing to do was to put her daughter in our school. So what changes do you see in the community based on these hundreds of girls now being educated? Um, these girls are not being cut. Is that correct? Absolutely. A hundred percent. So that's pretty extraordinary. Uh, how is this school and the engagement of the families that you've described and the empowerment of these girls, how do you see that transforming this community? You know, it takes time. And I I myself wanted to stop FGM, like, right now. Like, right when I started. I mean, like, no more FGM. Uh, but I came to realize that I have to celebrate every little uh, success we have. So when we started, it's, um, you know, now no one used to talk about FGM. Publicly, because it's a, it's for us. We are told if you talk about FGM, there's something wrong is going to happen to you. <laughs> so there's all the superstitions <laughs> for holding people's mind. I'm like, okay. So I started speaking a lot about it, and I started bring, talking to the men about it. And now we have real men who are champions of our work, like fathers who are saying, "I will not cut my girl." And it's because we we use our girl because we we target one girl in each family, and really that's our entrance to the family. That girl. Whatever she learns, she brings it to her sisters. But what she learns, their parents are learning them. So as a result of one of the girls, most all the girls in the family don't go through the cut again. So we intervene, and we really use the girl as the key to opening those doors for us. Uh, most fathers are now sending, they are very proud of sending their girls to schools now because they say, well, Kenya is a role model, and uh, we've educated many men, but no one has come in to help us. But look at what she's doing <laughs> and really challenging that mindset that in the, in the past, they didn't think women can do, but now they're seeing that women can do. Our girls do well in the national exam. They never used to see that. Now they're seeing, oh, if we can educate our girls we can really see the change in the society. They have seen for the first time we were sending our girls to university and they're like, we've never seen, you know, that many. We had 24 girls graduate last, you know, the year past, go to university at once. They're like, wow. So we're really seeing the changes in the society because of the girls that we have. They saw them in fourth grade. They're seeing them going to university. They saw them. Now these girls actually come and they go back to the schools that they were going when they were little. They go there as mentors, and they are really becoming role models. And the message now is like, let's educate more girls. Let's end female genital cutting because it destroys the life of girls. Let's not, let's not marry our girls. So we've really seen not just in the parents, but even just even our lawmakers. And the support that I have truly is amazing. I, I, I mean, I look at them all the time like, wow. But it takes time. Can you describe some of the other challenges that these girls face. Your your work focuses also on, in addition to FGM and the issues of education and poverty, 
uh, also HIV and menstrual hygiene, uh, sexual violence. Can you talk about how you deal with some of those issues, teenage pregnancy? How do you help girls in the community to um, avoid some of the other risks and, and address the challenges they face? So, Jenna, I think the biggest challenge that I've come to see, yes, the girls who come to my school, they are supported, they are taken care of, they are really protected. But that's just a fraction of girls that need so much support in my village. Um, Each year we have about 300 girls applying to come. We only take 40 girls. So how many go away? So I kept that pushed me to really think about how do we help the girls that are not coming to our schools. And as you talked about, there's the issue of sexual violence, um, rape when girls are going to school. Um, You know, we talk about, and that results pregnancy when they're young. Um, That talks, we talk about poverty. Poverty means when they don't have school fees, they're not going to go to school. We talked about menstruation periods where a girl, if she doesn't have pads and they're not there because when you are poor you have no access to buying that and so what happens if the girl she stays home every month four times you know four days and she misses out on the school and the when she comes back no one is going to try and help her to catch her so there's a lot of issues that girls have not, I've not even talked about how at home they the they work they perform you know it's it puts them at risk when you're sending a girl to go to the river to collect water and she's kidnapped or raped there um, when she's going to the bushes to collect firewood. I mean, every place that these girls are are living, it's it's a threat. It's it's not a safe place for them. And what I came to realize is that, you know, how if I had learned about FGM when I was young and how it is bad for me, you know, bad for women's health and all that, I would have probably like pushed to say, no, I don't want to be cut. Um, So we created a program which is called Health and Leadership, training program where we go to schools uh, throughout where we work. We work with about 100 schools in our community. We will come to girls who are in 6th grade and 7th grade and 8th grade, and we will teach you about health. And health is just about hygiene, but it's also about HIV, sexual transmitted diseases. Uh, We talk about um, everything that is about health. We talk about periods and how do you manage your periods? Where do you get access to um, those things. The biggest thing is just the women's health, is the girls' health. I mean, there's no clinic that they can go to to get any, like even just when they have, you know, minor, you know, issues. They can't just show up into a health center and say, look, this happened to me. People, because that's maybe the auntie's there, maybe some relatives. So they're really hidden out. Uh, so our health is really very big. Um, the the leadership part of it is really knowing your rights, knowing your rights, knowing that when somebody wants to perform FGM to me, it's against the law in Kenya. Where do I go to get protection? So we actually bring in the police, we bring in the nurses, we bring the trainers, people, because police are like everywhere, we fear them. So we try to break that so that when a girl knows that I can go to that police station and I know somebody, from, they always have a women's desk, a gender desk. So we bring those gender desk people to the schools to see, to interact with the girls so that the girls can feel safe to go with them. Um, so that training has really opened up, and the fun part of it is we also do uh, taekwondo. Uh, it's really uh, self-defense. It's uh, an amazing, amazing technique that we've taught our girls. Not, I mean, it's it's all about 
protecting yourself, but it's also just builds their confidence to be able to say, I can like punch and kick and <laughs> and be okay out of a place. And, and it's okay for me to speak up about what has happened to me. And it's okay for me to share because there's a big issue of the silent of quietness. People just want to keep quiet. So that's what we do. We've trained about 10,000 boys and girls too. We, so I'll talk about boys another day, but you have to bring everybody on board. And, and, and so, yeah, we have to empower girls to demand their rights and to fight for it. As you know, there's been there are cases, of course, of FGM in this country. There are a number of states, I think 28 states in the United States have passed laws banning, outlawing FGM. But there has been a series of cases recently in Michigan where first a doctor was convicted for performing FGM, then a federal district judge overturned that case, uh, saying that the Congress in passing the law had overstepped its bounds, and this was local criminal activity. And now the attorney, the district attorney in Detroit is appealing that case, just announced in December 2018. Can you give us, share with us some reflections on that issue in this country um, and what's happening right now. It's a very current issue here as well. It's pretty sad to know that a girl can go through FGM in America. It's the most, you know, outrageous thing. And that girl would not get justice. I think I put myself and I, I I was asking myself, what was the judge thinking? Suppose it was his own daughter. What would he have done differently? And I think the biggest thing that is also missing, and this is what I see in Kenya, you pass the law, it's not enough. You have to educate the public about it. And I think that's where we've gone wrong. Like, it's great, we have great, amazing laws. But if we don't train people, if we don't educate people what FGM is, because somehow it's this most scary thing, we don't want to talk about it. But the reality, children are being affected. You know, they are, I mean, when a girl is cut, She's never the same. She's traumatized. It's it's her life is like something happened. It's traumatized. And to come out of that, it takes a lot of years of counseling, helping, coaching, and all of that. And if we're not educating the public about it, so we're not protecting the girls. And now I mean, I'm glad that there are being reappeals about it. And I really truly hope that them, you know, the US can take a lead on this and, 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 and don't go back to where we were of arguing, I think we keep saying in Africa, it's a cultural thing. Instead of just facing it, it's a human rights violation. It's women's, you know, it's gender-based violence against women. It is control. It is, it's all the above things that diminish and, you know, really destroys the lives of women. So let's just talk about the reality. Why don't we just face the reality and say, this thing harms women, let's stop it. And don't hide about it's a cultural thing. It's a thing that doesn't fit into the law. Seriously, this is a different generation. We can't do that. We cannot do that. You have had an amazing voice globally in highlighting the kinds of challenges that women and girls face, but also the opportunities and the the extraordinary excitement that uh, all our communities can develop by supporting these girls to actually pursue their own lives, their own dreams. So what is your message for our audience and for young women who are inspired by your work? 
I am where I am because I have an amazing village behind me. My family, you know, from my husband who takes care of my children when I'm traveling to my mother who really fought for me and ensured that I went to school, to the teachers that, you know, walked with me and saw all my stubbornness and all the things that I do, um, you know, to the supporters who support my work now. I have every step of my way. There's always been a woman who is standing next to me and coaching me, mentoring me, listening to me. Um, And every single woman needs that. And I think the biggest challenge that I would challenge women, uh, you always have to have a partner. Uh, I have a big thing of saying, you know, just lend one hand down and pull somebody up because that's the most precious thing we can live in the world. So I challenge all of us to mentor someone, coach someone, create a village be, be, you know, around women. Let's create villages around us because that's the only way we can truly change the paradigms, the issues that we are tackling, the systemic changes, the things that all ingrained, like they're really deep. Um, and the only way you can do it, well, you cannot do it alone. You need you need a village. And uh, I'm grateful to have a village behind me. And I hope that every woman, and that's why I, I really focus on mentoring Let's mentor each other. Let's mentor girls. Let's empower them. Um, let's make the, the next generation be different than the one we're living. And the only way to do that is to mentor them and empower them and push them for success. If people want to find out more about your work, where should they go? Go to www.kakenyasdream.org. Um, you'll see a lot of pictures of my girls and the work that we are doing. Uh, like us on Facebook, Kakenya Stream, and Twitter. Thank you, Kakenya. Thank you. To learn more about the International Day of Zero Tolerance of Female Genital Mutilation, follow the hashtag EndFGM on social media or visit the United Nations website. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Take As Directed. We invite you to subscribe so you never miss our latest episodes. If you want to learn more about upcoming events and our work, please visit the CSIS Global Health Policy Center program page.